Good morning. This morning we're going to follow up on last week's sermon. We are using the same text this week, uh, which I will read to you again. Uh, It's in Philippians 4, verses 4 through 8. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. This morning, an invitation, I'm going to tell you just a little bit of Josie's story. Uh, It's a very long story. I won't be able to tell you much of it this morning. I met Josie, she was 92 years old, in a nursing home. Her physical health was not bad, but she was in despair, given some things that had gone on in her life, some losses. We had spent some weeks, this was in upstate New York, in the dead of winter. She was feeling about as bleak as that winter was, I think. And um, I had done some talking to her about the Lord, had asked her about prayer. She wondered if it was okay to just talk directly to Jesus. And I said, God, uh, without faith, it's impossible to please him. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so um, I came in the Friday, the, the Monday morning of Good Friday, Passion Week. And to me, it seemed out of the blue. But I knew that God was drawing her. I've been praying for her for weeks. And she looked at me and she said, you know, this is Easter week. And I said, I'm, I'm aware of that. And she said, uh, she said, now let me just review. Th-. And she was, she was kind of cute in her own way. She used sort of slang and lingo at 92. She loved the nickname Josie rather than Josephine. Call me Josie, Doc. She said to me, Doc, um, this is Easter week. Um, that means that we believe that right now Jesus is alive, right? I said, right. And he said, you mean right now in a resurrected body, he's alive? I said, yes, that's what we believe. And she said, uh, I wonder how he feels and what he's doing right now. Isn't that the most important thing? And kind of a chill went up my spine. I knew God was in that room. To make a long story short, she asked me to come again. Um, And the only time I had arranged any time available was Good Friday morning. And I came in and one of the things that had caused her despair was she would sit and look from her window out into the the quadrangle outside. And there was a favorite tree of hers that she had loved to watch birds. She was a bird watcher. And the tree had become diseased and had had to been cut down just after the first snow. And they had taken it down in sections and they had not completed it. So there was this ugly stump of the tree that came up about five feet. 
And she was just sitting looking at that, and that just reminded her of everything else that had gone wrong. Now they took my tree away. And uh, we were sitting, and she said, this is the day that Jesus went to the cross. I said, yes. She said, can, can he forgive me? Can he forgive me? Now, you have to realize that this was a woman who had done, had lived her life her way in a lot of rebellion against God. She'd alienated her family by this point. Uh, when they came to visit, they left as soon as they could. She said, can he forgive me? And as she sat there looking out at a tree, I saw some workmen out there. They were doing some work on some of the windows and things. And I said, you just, I, I took a piece of paper and I just kind of took a pen, pen and I just kind of scrawled on it. And she said, she said, you know, the thing that, that, that bothers me the most is not the individual sins I committed. And there are many. But I kind of hated God. I lived life my own way. I kept him at a distance. She said, I think that's my greatest sin, is doing that. Can he forgive that? So on this piece of paper, I just said, Josie, I'm kind of writing everything you're telling me. Only the Lord knows the whole thing, you know, including the fact, especially, that you've been angry with him and gone against him your whole life. And I said, I want you to sit here by the window and watch, watch me. And I walked out into the, into the quadrangle there and I, I borrowed a hammer and a nail from the workman there and I took that sheet and I nailed it to that stump while she was watching, to that ugly stump. And then I came back in and I said, that's what happened today. Jesus took all of your sin on himself, on that ugly cross, and... He's living now. He's living. And she said, and I said, not only that, I said I took another piece of paper, I was scribbling. This is his righteousness. This is everything that he's done in his life. This is his account. That other one was yours. This is for you if you put your faith in him. And she burst into tears, and her first response was one that I didn't expect. She said, but that's his. That doesn't belong to me. That's his. Why would he give that to me? Does he love me that much? And there you have the gospel in a nutshell. As I said to her, yes. That's what he offers to you. Is his righteousness in place of your sin and your rebellion. And over the course of the next 20 minutes, I just witnessed her coming into the kingdom of God like a baby. She wept, and it was as if the, the weight of those 90-some years it was just rolling off. And in the weeks following, it was one of the most delightful things you could see. It was like a baby at 92. I'd come in, and she'd say, Well, you know, the thing that bothered me a lot was uh, going to meals. Um, you know, people wouldn't, she was profoundly hard of hearing. People didn't make the effort to listen to me and um, did all kinds of things. One guy drools and he gathers all the food in front of himself. 
I, I just get, I sit there and I stew about going to meals. I just stew about it. And so she said to me, can I talk to Jesus about that? Instead of being anxious about that? Does it work that way? And I said, you sure can. He'd be delighted. I came in the next week and she said, uh, I tried it. I said, what's that? She said, talking to Jesus about it. He, he gave me an idea. Does it work that way? And I, I said, it's been known to work that way. I said, uh, what was the idea? She said, well, I thought of a simple rearrangement of the way people sat at the table. I'd sit someplace where I could hear a little bit better and wouldn't see certain things. And I, we did it. I asked if that could be done, and I knew everybody would be fine with it. And we did it, and it's working. Well, the administrator later told me that's exactly what had happened, and the whole atmosphere at the table had changed. A week later, I came in. She said, you know, Doc, uh, I think the Holy Spirit told me something. I said, what's that? She said, I've been angry at people because they wouldn't listen to me. And I realized that I should give up that anger. I should ask them to forgive me. And I should make an effort to let them know how they can talk to me better. Does it work that way? And I said, yeah, that's the way it works. And uh, over subsequent weeks, um, you could just see the joy of the Lord in her life. Uh, when she'd asked that first time where Jesus was and what he was doing, I had looked at, opened up the scripture in Hebrews 1, which says he's anointed with the oil of gladness. She said, well, why is he glad? What does he have to be glad about? And I said, well, that he completed the work that he came to do. What was that? Just those simple questions that opened up the gospel. Um, and so in those last weeks of her life, as it turned out, um, she was sharing with people. Um, I came in uh, one day and her room was suspiciously empty. Um, and I kind of had a sense that maybe the Lord had taken her. And I saw a gentleman look to be about 70 years old out in the hallway. And he looked at me and said, Are you Dr. Mostrom? I said, yes. He said, I'm, I'm Josie's son. Could we talk for a minute? And I said, sure. She said, would you mind telling me what happened to my mom the last few months? <laughs> I said, I said well, what are you referring to, sir? She said, well, I hate to say it the way it is, but she was mean, crabby, uh, bitter. I'd come and I'd have a meal with her and I couldn't get out of this place fast enough. Uh, now there's been a transformation in her. She's had joy in her life. She keeps talking about the Lord. What's that about? Uh, can you tell me how there was such a big change in her life? Well, one of the things that Josie uh, had kind of modeled for me Early on in her first month of being a new babe in Christ, she said to me, you know, I had, I, this week I've been down. I said, why is that? She said, I came so late to the Lord. I'm 92. I came so late. Um, and we looked at the parable of the vineyard and those who came late. And talked also about the fact that it's God and it's his economy, 
It's what he does in, in our life, in the seasons of our life, which determine our value. It's not us. We can't look at ourselves through our own eyes. We can't do the bottom line, which says, this is my value. You know, as we're walking in faith, God determines that. Um, I came in the next week and Josie said to me, you know, Doc, she said, uh, I decided I'm too old to keep worrying about that. I don't have enough time left. I can't spend my time worrying about that. I just need to do what I'm supposed to do. Is that the way it works? I said, yeah. That was her favorite phrase, is that the way it works? So here we are, you know, a few months later on that day when I'm talking to her son. And he's saying to me, you know, my children and my grandchildren are all wondering what happened to her. Can you tell us? Can you tell us? I think we need some of that. And I just thought of, you know, the, the wonder of the Lord when people are made alive to him and we are freed. Um, we are, as we talked about last week, uh, we're following up on last week. Last week we looked at the story of Lazarus kind of intimately and talked about ourselves as the ones who've been called forth from death to life. And of course all of that uh, was the precursor in the case of Lazarus, of Jesus himself coming forth out of the tomb, living face to face with the Father uh, so that we can also. Um, so we have been freed from the power and the condemnation of sin. Um, there is one of the towering chapters of scripture is Romans 8. We're going to look a little bit at it today. But first, I just want to, it, sometimes it helps to look at scripture from about 30,000 feet. You get kind of the big picture. The chapter of Romans 8 begins with, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's like Josie marveling with tears, God really for, has forgiven me. No condemnation. The chapter ends with no separation from his love. His love holds us for eternity. That's our destiny. Goes into some detail at the end of Romans 8 about how nothing, it goes through a whole list. There's nothing in all creation which can separate us from the love of God, which is the most powerful force in the universe. So this morning, um, we're going to look a little more at the new life that we have in Christ, which for Josie packed a lot into a few months. Uh, she grew in Christ. There's much more to tell about her story, which I may have the opportunity sometime. But her growth in Christ was wonderful. Her allowing the Holy Spirit himself to help her with her sin. She wasn't getting all tied up about it. She was letting God point things out to her and work on them, at the, at, which is a lesson for all of us. Um, so today we're going to look at um, three, three points about our new life in Christ Jesus. The first is that that new life, there's a spirit, the Holy Spirit, who is God with us. You know, Jesus, uh, at the end of his life on earth, told his disciples, 
I'm going to leave you, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to come back to you. I won't leave you as orphans. So he sent his spirit to be with us. The, there are three verses kind of embedded near the, near the, in the first section of Romans 8, which I would just commend to you, your own study. It's verses 9 to 11 of Romans 8. I will just kind of quickly reference it now, read some of these verses, but commend it to you for your own study. This identifies who the Holy Spirit is. Um, You, however, are not in the flesh, that is just in your old nature, but in the spirit, if in fact, now I listen listen to the first name here for the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God. If the Spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ is not his. Spirit of God, spirit of Christ. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Spirit of God, spirit of Christ, Christ himself. As we talked about last week, the full triune God come to abide in us and us in him. Uh, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. One of the biggest mistakes would be to think of salvation as some kind of um, eternal get-out-of-jail-free card. Um, Salvation is just the beginning of a life in which we are awake to God Uh, and we begin to move through and live in that awakeness. Uh, We have the spirit of life himself in us. Uh, Just as individuals, uh, we are not alone in this life. Uh, And we are not isolated individuals. We have a family of God, uh, a new eternal family. So point one, we are indwelt by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus to empower us in the growth of our spiritual lives. Uh, As a second point, we have a life to cultivate. Okay, we have a life to cultivate. We have a precious gift of amazing grace that's been given to us. We have a life to cultivate. Um, And one way, there's, there's so many ways to talk about what scripture refers to as sanctification, growing in holiness. Uh, There's the exercise of godliness. Um, Just as as Josie had said, my biggest sin was ignoring God and being an enemy of God. So godliness is that awareness of God. It's getting up in the morning and kind of saying hello to God, showing up for work. Lord, help me today. Um, So we can think of it as Uh, Scripture uses metaphors that have to do with uh, our physical senses, except in a spiritual sense. So we can talk about a new way of seeing. If you think of a new way of seeing, what might that be? Um, Paul uh, writes in 2 Corinthians 5.14 that the love of Christ controls us, we don't look at ourselves any, anymore through our own eyes. 
We don't look at anyone else. We don't look at Christ, what we knew about Jesus before we came to him through our own eyes. The eyes of our understanding, he prayed in Philippians, in Ephesians 1, verses 16 to 23, for the Ephesians that their eyes of their understanding would be opened. So when you, when you look at yourself, who do you see? Um, there's a freeing that comes, um, an application in this. Each day when we get up in the morning, Lord, open my eyes to see me as you see me, clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Um, I don't know if any of you here, uh, kids or, or adults, have a problem sometimes with just feeling very self-conscious um, and worrying about how other people are seeing you. Uh, probably some of us do. Um, it's something many, many of us worry about. And sometimes what happens then is we're going through a day, whether it's at school or work or in whatever setting we live, and we're kind of worrying about how other people view us. Um, that, a lot. Bothered by that a lot. Maybe that keeps us from doing things that we would do otherwise. Let me say this. The important thing, and I don't, I don't mean that we shouldn't be appropriate in our dealings with people. We need to be. We need to see them with love. The point is, we start with not what other people think of us, not the way other people see us, but the way God himself sees us. We stand on this. Lord, this day, I'm your child. I'm an heir with Christ of eternal life. That's who I am. I don't feel like that, necessarily. Um, I hold this treasure in a very, very earthen vessel. Very common pot. I mess up a lot. But... By your grace, I've been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. This is who I am. Josie said to me one day, she said, she said, so Jesus is alive right now and he's looking at me with love. Right this minute. I said, yes. She said, how can I grow in that? How can I, how, help me out here. And I said, well, you can just pray. Holy Spirit, help me. And I said, and you can also, and I gave her a little three by five card, uh, five by seven actually, vision, um, some verses. I said, this is who God says you are. Each morning I want you to get up and I want you to read those. And I want you to ask the Spirit of God to move that from here to here, from head to heart, so that you not only believe it, but you're seeing yourself that way, the way God sees you. She said, so you mean like in real time, he can help me look at myself the way he's looking at me? I said, yes. And then he can, we looked at the, the love of God as poured in our hearts, Romans 5, through the Holy Spirit. So that love can pour through me and to other people, and I can be free to do that. And I said, yes. You got it. She said, it doesn't work that way. I said, I said, you try it. And I came in the next week. She says, you know something, Doc? It works. God loves me, and he's helping me to love myself more, and he's loving other people through me. She says, that seems pretty simple. I said, well, maybe it needs to be. 
Um, so there's much, if we, you could do your own study really on more about vision. Uh, but the other senses are also mentioned metaphorically. Taste. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see. There's a tasting. Scripture is defined and described as in that kind of way. Uh, we need to learn to develop our appetite. What do we take in? Uh, this is a metaphor for all of the stuff that we get bombarded with, that we see, the things we see, the things we take in, that we ingest, the things we touch, uh, that kind of thing, the things we hear. So if we think of our taste being developed, we do, how do we develop that? We develop it by reading scripture, by taste and see, and then putting it into practice, just like Josie would do, and say, is that the way it works? Yes, it does. You know, I go to school and I'm praying for God to help me uh, to be free in him and not be weighed down too much by what other people think. I'm anxious about my ability to produce my work quickly enough, and I'm asking God for help with that. Um, so many small movements of faith every day happen in that way. So taste, we could go on. Hearing, uh, we listen to the Lord through the word. We develop that, we exercise that capability. We take scripture, we read it, we do so in fellowship with God, and we ask God, please take that scripture, make it real to me. Spirit of God, illuminate my mind and my heart to understand that and apply it to my own life. Uh, my sheep know my voice. Jesus, Jesus loves it as we learn to, to appreciate his voice through scripture. Um, touch. Um, we, again, we, one way to talk about touch would be Philippians 2. 15 to 16, we're to shine like lights in the world, and what are we to do? We're to be holding fast to the word of truth. How do we hold fast to it? We lay it up. Um, one of the things, early verses I memorized as a boy, and it was in the King James, so excuse me. Um, Thy word have I hidden my heart, that I might not sin against thee. The role of scripture, we referred last week to the temptation in the wilderness where Jesus used scripture. So we lay that up, we store it up, and as we go through the day, what happens? Who do we have with us to point out scriptures to us? We have the Holy Spirit. Um, so touch. Um, here's an interesting one, smell. Um, there's a verse in Ephesians 5.2 that says, Walk in love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Um, to God the Father, the sacrifice of Jesus was like a sweet-smelling savor. We don't think about it that way. 
We don't think about the fact that it was pleasing to God, the Father, that his son should do this on our behalf, his sacrifice, and that that sacrifice was pleasing to him. It satisfied his wrath. As we know that Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, when, and, and again, as we talk at the end about anxiety, we would never say that Jesus was anxious. We would say that he was in turmoil. Agony was, is the word in the Greek there in the garden, agonizo, from which we get the word agony. Why was he in such agony? Because it wasn't the physical death he was about to face. It was the fact that he was about, who, was, who knew no sin, was about to become sin for us. He was going to take sin upon himself, his pure being. This is what was agonizing to him. And yet, and he was drinking the cup of God's wrath against sin for us, so that we don't have to taste that. Um, and for God the Father, that offering was completely satisfying. Completely satisfying. We don't add anything to it, we can't. We have nothing to add to that. It's a sweet-smelling savor, it's a complete satisfying offering to God. So, where do we go with all of this? We train ourselves, we exercise ourselves to godliness. Uh, in this passage of Philippians 4, the contrast is between nothing and everything. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything what? We won't take the time to look further in all of these contexts of Scripture, but Scripture talks about a process of learning. The Apostle Paul talked about learning to be content in the different situation. God is patient with us. God knows it doesn't happen overnight. The last thing we want to do, though, as I've had people say to me, doc or pastor, depending on the context I was in, they'd say, you don't get it. I just worry. I'm just anxious all the time. If there's nothing to be anxious about, I worry about that too. You know, uh, something's going to happen. Uh, you know, that may work for some other Christian, but not me. And I say, well, wait a minute. You're putting yourself on dangerous ground there. God says he can help you with that. And God expects you to grow in that area of your life. Um, are we going to worry about things? Yes. Uh, are we going to be bothered by things? Yes. Do we ever keep the door to that room of our life closed? and keep the Lord out of it? No. In everything, with prayer and thanksgiving, worship. Worshiping God for all of the things that we talked about. Worshiping God for our place in him when we get up in the morning and say, I'm your child. Worshiping God through the day as we turn to him and say, no, that the Holy Spirit, different names for the Holy Spirit, comforter, uh, paraclete is the word in, in the Greek. Para, alongside. Kaleo, called. The one who's called alongside to walk next to us. We've got somebody walking next to us uh, through the day. And uh, like my father used to say when he preached about this, if you're walking with somebody down the street and you're holding their hand and you come up to a pole 
you got to go one way or the other. You want to go his way. You want to go his way. And he's going to let you know. Um, so we, we're cultivating an awareness of God. Uh, we are exercising ourselves to godliness. This is what Paul said to Timothy. Exercise yourself to godliness. So we go through the day. We have, uh, we have our own coach. We've got our fitness trainer spiritually with us through the day. He's helping us do the repetitions of faith. There are certain repetitions. Scripture that we're memorizing. We should always be memorizing some scripture. Um, carry it around with you, either on your, uh, on your phone or if you're like one old guy like me, you'll have it on a piece of paper probably, a card in your pocket. Carry scripture around, memorize it, store it up. And the one who's called alongside of you is going to point it out. Um, so an awareness of who we are in Christ and then prayer for eyes to see, to taste and see that the Lord is good, to continue to grow in these things. As I say, God is patient with us. Um, as we go through the day, we're not alone. We have a new family, a family of God. Uh, we have those we can pray with. Um, but in terms of us individually, as indwelt by God, we're kind of like a, a mobile fitness lab. We're going through the day, and we can always be exercising, uh, growing in the Lord. Um, we're to continue to store up Scripture, um, and I want to read a Scripture from First Peter five as we come near to a close. Several Scriptures, First Peter five, verse six. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties upon him. He knows we get anxious. What do we do with it? Where does it go? Casting all your anxieties upon him or all your cares upon him because he cares for you. And then there's a promise a few verses later. After you have suffered a little while, this is referring to the fact that we live in a fallen world. There's a lot that goes on. We have seasons in our lives of distress and difficulty. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He'll settle you. School, work, relationships, the way others view us, family struggles, heartache, struggles with sin in our own lives, anxiety, worry, self-doubt, we fully turn those over. to. We just keep that repetition of faith, turning it over, turning it over. I'm not alone. You're with me. I'm yours. I'm bought with a price. I'm showing up for work today. Uh, renew my mind, renew my heart. I offer your, my, myself to you as a living sacrifice. Some of us, the days are busy, but we try to go to sleep at night. Some of us know about the night watches. I'm sure nobody here has anything like that happen, where you wake up at night and your mind is going. Um, listen to this. 
You have searched me, O Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my coming out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand on me. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. And the cycle goes for another day. Who am I? Who do you say I am? Ingrain that in me. Uh, Continue to teach me. Um, Every morning we awake as a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. There's a dynamic principle here that says, no matter what the past has been, there's a new future available in Christ. Uh, Throughout the day, the spirit of life in us is with us to confront, to lead, to guide, to bring scripture to our minds. As we lay ourselves down to sleep, uh, he's with us to cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. If we awaken in the night watches, he helps us to lean then, learn then to be comforted by his word. Um, as we practice and exercise our faith in this way, uh, his promise to us in the passage is that his peace, in the Philippians 4 passage, which is our text for today, his peace that passes understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. I think most of us here who are trusting in the Lord have those events in our life that we can look at and say, I know God gave me a peace in that that did not come from myself. I know it. Other people ask me maybe, how could you be, how could you go through this with a sense of peace? And I could tell them, it's the Lord. Um, his peace, the, a military word term here is used for guard. God sets up a perimeter around us. He's guarding our hearts and our minds. Um, he's giving his angels charge over us, his presence with us. He's with us. And part of that is to give us the strength to continue to turn to him. Uh, our thoughts and our movements of faith throughout the day to keep doing that, to keep exercising. So we continue to grow in our experiences of that happening. Then we can tell other people about it. And one of the most natural, some of us worry about, well, how I'm not a good witnesser. I'm not very good at uh, bringing people to, well, you're a person. You're a person in whom God has worked. Then you got a story to tell. And there are people who are ready to hear a story. If God's drawing them to himself, your story of his power in your own life could be something he uses to draw them to himself. So that's what goes on. And then we want to cultivate our memory. We want to begin to just establish the memory of God working in our life. 
like the hymn that we sang at the beginning, Come Thou Fount. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come. Uh, we have those moments in our life. We can drive a pillar down and say, God was here. God did it. It had nothing to do with me. Of course, we start with our salvation. God did it. And he who began a good work in us will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you so much for your amazing grace, for your love, for your mercy. Lord, move in us, we pray, to spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Draw us deeper into your life. Scripture says that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We pray that we might say more freedom in our lives. Draw each person here, we pray, deeper into your life and into our life together. In Jesus' name, amen.